If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Glad to have you back here for another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as he is just about every show, is my co-host, Curtis. You can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. And you can now check us out on our Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. We welcome any and all interaction. And guys, we really do appreciate any feedback you guys throw our way, whatever it may be, good or bad. We just love to hear your thoughts. Definitely, and this show's for you guys. We want to give you what you want. So if you like it, let us know. If you don't, also let us know. We'll do our best to make sure we're putting up content that you guys want. Uh, you can also listen to the show on most of the major podcasting platforms out there, including the regulars, you know, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher and TuneIn apps. Of course, you can also check us out uh, on Dogsports Radio at the V-Sport O Internet Radio Network. Uh, so subscribe to the show on any of those platforms. Help us spread the word by sharing the links to the shows that they provide for you guys. That would be awesome. But let's go ahead and move into today's show. Told you last week that we were going to wait for SEC Media Days to run its course before we touched on everything that happened over there in Hoover. And now that it is over, we thought the time was right now to go ahead and take a look back at some of the comments that various media personalities made that were pertinent to our 2017 football season. We're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to look at... All the comments are made, or some of the comments that were made, you're not going to talk about everything, but some of the, the pertinent comments that were made regarding our football team and discuss whether we are buying or selling what they had to say. So we're going to be playing a little buy or sell today, which is always kind of fun. And uh, we're going to start with a guy that won over every Georgia fan's heart over the course of the last week, and that, of course, is former Alabama quarterback and current ESPN broadcaster Greg McElroy. If you were... Alive last week, I'm sure you saw McRoy just killing us any chance he got. And really, that's nothing new, though. If you pay attention to this guy throughout the entire offseason, I, I, I had to give him credit. He has consistently been down on us all offseason long. So, may not like it, but he's been consistent with it. Um, and you, with him, you got to remember, you remember Kurt, old Swamp Donkey over there in Gainesville was his offensive coordinator at Alabama. So, I mean, it makes sense why he's all over Florida. And if you ever hear him on his radio show, it's obvious that McElroy is heavily biased when it comes to McElroy. And I'm really not one of those conspiracy theory guys that says everybody's against everybody hates I don't really buy into that. But in this case, I do think there's something to it to a degree. And McElroy, McElroy tried to backtrack. Did you say that towards the end of the week, Kurt? How uh, he was getting killed on Twitter and social media. So he tried to backtrack a little bit. But still, I mean, it's pretty obvious he's got some bias. It makes sense. I mean, that was his offense coordinator uh, when he was at Alabama. So, you know, got to take that all in stride. But we're going to start with several comments that old Greg made and uh, just talk about whether we are buying or selling what he had to say. I think he was off base on most of the things, but there might have been something that he might have been on the right track with. So, Kurt, this is Greg McElroy 
on the set of SEC Now at Media Days talking about Florida's defense. He said, quote, What Florida has along the defensive line is what makes them a little better on the defensive side than Georgia. Uh, That's the reason I'm picking them over Georgia. I think they are better in the trenches right now than what the Georgia Bulldogs are, and that is usually what determines the winner and loser in each respective division in the SEC. End quote. And then he also went on to say, in a related note, quote, they don't have the guys, you're talking about us, they don't have the guys yet in the trenches that can win one-on-one matchups outside of Trent Thompson. So, Kurt, are you buying or selling Greg McElroy's take on our defensive line compared to Florida's defensive line, and that being the difference in his selection of Florida as the SEC East favorite, in his mind? Um, I'm honestly selling it because I think the biggest thing is last year when Florida had those injuries to the guys that all went pro, their defense was abysmal. I wouldn't say, well, abysmal? I mean, compared to what it had been. Uh, there, there, was a, there, there was definitely a noticeable drop-off for sure. They were still good, but there was a drop. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. but they were getting ran all over. I mean, Arkansas. Arkansas just, gashed them. That's what I'm saying. I mean, with the what they needed, they were terrible. I mean, yeah. like I said, Arkansas was just running. I, I, right yeah, you're right. I'm actually watching Arkansas game right now. I'm, I'm almost done watching it. Um, going back and preparing for the our Florida edition of the Scout and the Enemy series. And you're right. When Alex Anz, they started with Jared Davis and Anzalone in that game. Uh, and when Anzoni went out with an injury, there and you bring in David Reese, bring in Kyle Johnson, there was a noticeable drop off there uh, with their production defensively. And Arkansas did have more success running the football, so you're right there. I got to give you that. Um, and I think the biggest thing also is talking about our defense. I mean, Trent was starting to blow up, yes, and Ledbetter only had six games, and in those six games, we played some of our better opponents, and he still was a huge difference maker, especially in stopping the run. I mean, look at what he did against Auburn. If we didn't have him against Auburn, I don't think we win that game because he does a great job of setting the edge on the run. He's so disciplined out there, too. I mean, he obviously has the, the skill, the technique, the strength to do it, but he's so disciplined. That's one of the things that drove me crazy for years with a guy like Leonard Floyd was just he could do it if he wanted to, but just so undisciplined. But Ledbetter knows his role. He knows what yeah, yeah, he fits exactly. in the defense and does that, it. Like you're saying, Ledbetter's more or less accepted what Kirby wants and his role yeah. in the system. And he's being he's being unselfish, and I think that's what one reason that he's so good. Yeah, he's bought into it. And, I mean, why would you not? I mean, look at Kirby's track record and the kind of guys that he's put into the league from that defensive line position in his defense is at Alabama. And the fact that Kirby recruited most of these kids, so he, he, I mean, they know, I mean, he already had an idea of how he would have used them. Yeah, speaking of lead, I mean, Ledbetter was a one-time Alabama commit early in the process, and we were able to flip him. Um, so he's well acquainted with Kirby and understands what Kirby's expectations would have been if he went to Alabama when he was there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to totally sell this. So let's 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 take a look at this. I mean, this is what I'm, I'm going to dig into this one maybe a little bit more than some of the other uh, comments here later on. But I think this is an important point to make. Is he is right when he says that what determines the winner and loser in each respective division is often the trenches. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree with that. So I, I think this is an important question. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. So now, last year, would you agree with me? Would you agree and say that Florida's defense was better than ours in 2016? Yeah, easily. Yeah, easily. They were, by mo- almost it, every objective measure. The thing measure. is, though, when you get into statistics, it's not. It, it, that's exactly what I'm getting to, so thank you for the segue, my man. I appreciate it. So, yeah, like their defense, by almost by, by most measurable met- by most metrics out there, they were better than us a year ago. But the thing is, yes, they were better than our defense last year, and I'm not going to sit here and say that we were better. We weren't. But they were only marginally better than what we were in most categories. So let me give you a couple examples here. Florida was second in the SEC last year, giving up 293 total yards a game. 
which is great. But we weren't that far behind. We were fourth in the conference last year, giving up 327 yards a game. So about a 30 or so yard difference there, uh, which is not crazy. It's not astronomical when you put it in context. Uh, we were actually better against the run last year than Florida was. We gave up 143 yards a game to Florida's 144 yards a game. Basically the same thing, but still, statistically, technically, and we, we were better. we actually played run, running teams like Georgia Tech. Yeah, we play a team that runs the ball almost exclusively. So, I mean, that's all they do. Uh, and then, so that's a fair point there as well. Then you look at the pass defense. Okay, Florida, this is where they were better, uh, significantly better than us. They were number one in the SEC in pass defense last year in terms of yards per pass. And at 5.9 yards per pass, they were giving up. We were seventh in the conference last year at giving up seven yards per pass attempt. Um, so that's a little bit of a difference there. But again, you put it in context. Jawan Briscoe starts the first throw of the season and got got toasted, just got roasted out there and killed us. We have a ton of big plays. After that, some of those big plays started to die down for the most part. We gave a ton of big plays. Uh, you know, if you just really just two games, look at Missouri and look at Ole Miss, they just killed us. So those pass numbers later on the season, I think they, they came back down a little bit. Uh, Florida was fourth in sacks last year in the SEC with 31. We were just a hair behind them, sixth in the league with 29 sacks. Um, and then uh, in tackles for loss, they were they were significantly ahead of us in tackles for loss. They, they did last year have a more disruptive front. They were sixth in the SEC with 80 tackles for loss. We were 13th with only 62. So, yes, they were better than us, but it was only a marginal difference there in terms of how much better they were a year ago compared to us. But here's my thing. Just because they were marginally better than us last year, to you, Kirk, does that mean necessarily they will be better in 2017? No. No, they, they not at all. And that's like, okay, their front seven was better than ours a year ago, but that doesn't mean it will be in 2017. There's a larger context here. And here, this is the, 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 the really, in my opinion, one of the biggest mistakes that analysts out there make I mean, Kurt, you want to, in my opinion, you want to know why the national media has so much trouble correctly predicting the East winner every year? I mean, that, that, that's one of the things. They have, they have that trouble every single year. And the reason is, in my opinion, I'm just one dude, but in my humble opinion, the reason they have so much trouble predicting the East winner every year is because they overreact to what happened the year before, and they're just intellectually lazy. They believe that what was true one year will be true the next year. And that just isn't the case. Each year is its own unique entity. Now, maybe what was true one year will be true the next. Is Alabama going to have oh, a good defense this year? They oversell sure. everything, just like McElroy's right. over Overreaction. there overselling their defense. Yeah, they are so reactionary. And just they, I mean, I, and no one's playing any ball yet for the 2017 season. They, don't, they have to have something to talk about. I get it. But they just latch on so much to what happened in one previous year and expect that to translate to the next year. And sometimes it works out that way, but a lot of times it doesn't. You just can't assume that that's going to be the case. You can't assume what was true one year is going to be true the next year. You have to use some brain power and look beyond the surface. So let's do that here real quick for a second. And let's look at tackles for loss. I just mentioned a second ago, that's one of the stats I said Florida was way ahead of us. They had uh, 80 tackles for loss last year uh, in their front seven. Or, and we had 62. I actually think that was overall 80 tackles for loss to our 62. So that's a good bit ahead of us. But let's look at that. Florida was definitely better than us last year. I got to say that. 80 to 62 is a pretty big difference. But when you factor in that we were exceptionally young up front and we had 48 tackles for loss returning among our front seven that will be playing for us in 2017, 
whereas Florida only has 38 tackles for loss returning among their front seven in 2017. So we have more play- we have more players returning that were productive last year. And you also factor in we had two true freshmen last year playing significant, actually starting for half the season in Julian Rochester and David Marshall. And you had two more in Tyler Clark and Mikael Carter who saw a lot of playing time. Well, at least Tyler Clark saw a lot of playing time. Carter saw some spot duty. And then you, you mentioned Ledbetter. One of our two, in my opinion, one of our two best players on the defensive line, Jonathan Ledbetter, missed the first six games. We had no depth last year at linebacker. And all of that stands to be improved this year. Thompson looks like he's ready to take the next step after how he finished last season. We have better depth at inside linebacker and outside linebacker. Those young guys that were so young last year as true freshmen playing a lot of downs versus they're more experienced. Ledbetter's going to be a beast from day one. So... To me, advantage us if you look at it a little more closely. All right, now, now let's look at and, Seth. I mean, and another thing not being mentioned is um, that was our first year in that defense with these young guys. That's a great point. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. Now, you might it might be a little different than, you know, since we have a new D-line coach in Trey Scott, but at the same time, I have been talking to people close to the program, and they, these guys are actually, they like Trey Scott just as much as they do Tracy Rocker. They said, you know, they respect him. He gets in there and shows you how it's done. And, and yeah, you're right. And, and Trey Scott might be. Uh, he has. I'm sure he'll have some differences in how he teaches technique than Tracy Rocker. But the scheme that we're going to be running, it's still like you said. It's his Kirby Smart scheme, and it's year two in that scheme. And so these guys are going to feel. These D linemen have some pretty impressive moves and stuff in the spring game. I mean, Ledbetter was just tossing people around. Oh I mean, Tyler Clark was just was tossing people around. Freaking Ledbetter, dude. I am. I mean, I know if you guys listen to the show, you know that I am. We're both of us are just so high on what he's going to be able to do this year. I'm very excited to see what he's going to be able to bring to the table. Tyler Clark was even out yeah, there. Yeah, Clark. Yeah, he's looking good, man. I, I'm really high on our defensive line. And that's okay. If under, people want to underestimate us in, in disregards, that's fine. But I think we're going to have something to prove once the season rolls around. And if you look at sacks, kind of, sacks is kind of the same story as tackles for loss last year. Okay, yeah, Florida, again, they bested us there last year. This time, barely. They had 31 sacks overall last year to R29. But it's the same story as tackles for loss. Our front seven this year, the guys that we're going to have on our front seven, in our front seven, we're returning 23 sacks, whereas Florida is only returning 16 and a half among the front seven guys they have come back, coming back this year. Again, advantage us. And, I mean, it's more than just numbers. The numbers are one thing, but it's more than that. If you watched these two teams play last year, you saw that Caleb Brantley, he was an insanely disruptive force of Florida. I, I think he was by far their biggest playmaker up front, right? Yeah. I mean, by far. And and he gone, man. He done. He's out of here. I mean, sure, C.C. Jefferson's a good player. He's a very quick defensive end. But, as you know, people want to talk him up a lot. Macro was all about C.C. Jefferson last week. The dude only had one and a half sacks last year, and he had extensive playing time. And Jefferson, I mean, he's quick, but he's undersized, and he can, he can totally get washed out against the run. He's at his best when he penetrates in the backfield and makes plays behind the line of scrimmage. But if he's not doing that, he can be a liability because he's not huge out there. Zabari Zanaga was a good edge player for them last year with five sacks as a freshman. So they should be solid on the edge. With Zanaga and CC Jefferson, they should be solid on the edge. But outside of those two edge guys, who do they have? Tell me, who do they have that's better than what we have? No one that I actually even know of. Do they have anyone that can approach Trent Thompson? No. No. Ledbetter? No. Tyler Clark? I don't even think that. Julian Rochester? I don't think so. They have a couple guys, but to me, they're kind of just placeholders. They don't have a guy, in my opinion, that's capable of coming anywhere close to replacing Caleb Brantley's productions. Brantley was a baller last year. I mean, breaking down Florida, like I said, I'm breaking down Florida right now for our Scott in the Enemy series, and I'm just... 
Like, I knew he was good last year, but just watch, going back and rewatching him, the guy was a beast last year. He was, I think he was clearly the best player on their defense by far, not even close, including all the secondary players they had. So losing him, I don't think they have a guy to step in and replace him. I, I mean, he stepped in and replaced Jonathan Buller when he left, but I don't think they have a guy to replace Brantley, especially when you consider how they've been recruiting under Jim McElwain, the, the drop-off there from the Will Muschamp era. I don't think they have the players in the system right now in on their roster to, to step in and replace them. So I just, I'm telling you, man, I think that we have a better front. I mean, we have both outside linebackers returning with 10 sacks, uh, which is compared to Zanagan and Jefferson. They had six and a half sacks combined last year. Carter and Bellamy, who, who I think, you know, they still need to increase their production. They still had 10 sacks combined last year. we got a preseason first-team All-SEC player in Trent Thompson and Roquan Smith returning up the middle, a breakout candidate in Jonathan Ledbetter, and a host of demons linemen who saw extensive playing time last year. And let's not forget the top three recruiting class we just signed, guys like Monty Rice, Jaden Hunter, Nate McBride, Malik Herring, and if you never get to campus, Robert Beal, guys that should really add good quality depth to what, which is what we have been missing for some time. So based on all of that, the numbers, watching these guys play, the young guys coming into each respective program, I just don't see how you can say, based on what both teams return, how Florida is going to be better up front on the defensive line in the trenches than us this year. I just don't see how you can say that. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I would like to hear him say more because I just, I don't get where he's coming from there. All right, uh, next one here. Let's go, stay on Greg McElroy. And this is Greg McElroy on our linebackers. And he said, quote, their linebackers, talking about us, of course, their linebackers still aren't quite as good as some of their cohorts in the SEC West and Florida. Kurt, are you buying or selling that? Uh, I'm selling that also. I mean, yeah, we're not to the level of Alabama yet, but I think Roquan and they Trez are a very formidable linebacker group. And I think with the outside linebackers, the guys have the ability. I think they just got to reach for it. Yeah, I those guys, especially Lorenzo Carter, I, I, there was a couple years ago, back in the day, I'd say, I always said that Lorenzo was, I think he had the highest upside, just raw athleticism-wise on our team. And I, I'm kind of backed off of that, because I, I just haven't seen the production. I still think he can be a beast if he wanted, if he put it all together. He's, he's got some work to do. He's got to work on some more advanced pass rush moves, and just getting after the pass. So I thought he's made some strides last year, but I want to see him take that next step this year. Um, so... I, they do need to improve somewhat, but they, they've been solid at the very least. They've been solid. But to me, saying that our linebackers aren't quite as good as the SEC West in Florida, like, come on. To me, honestly, that's just completely laughable. I mean, I honestly don't know who in the, And I love how every time he says something, he has to include Florida. He has to. He has to. Because uh, I'm telling you, there's just a, there is a bias there. Again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy, but he's all over Florida. And it's McIlwain. I mean, there's a connection there. But you're right. He does. He always brings Florida into the equation, even if they're not really something that's part of the, the actual question. Um, but, look, it's completely laughable to me. I, I'm totally selling this. Okay, I think the only team that 100% definitely has a better linebacking core than us is Alabama. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's the only team. Other than that, I mean, who else? I mean, Auburn lost Carl Lawson. I mean, what do all well, these he was, teams yeah, have? Yeah, he was a hybrid guy for them. Um, but even then, I mean, but De- Deshaun Davis is Deshaun Davis is a pretty good linebacker at Auburn. He's good, but he, I still would take our both of our linebackers over what Auburn has. They're they're close, they're not far off, but I like I like our guys better. Alabama, Sean Deion Hamilton is a freaking he's a beast, dude. I love him. he's so quick. He's a new age linebacker, true three down linebacker, really good player. Rashad Evans is good. Those guys are probably better than what we have I, as a duo. But outside of that, I don't think you can sit here and say that anyone is you point to any other linebacker duo and say those guys are better than what we have. I, I just don't think, especially Florida. 
I mean, they're losing both of their starting inside linebackers. We have both of our starting linebackers returning. So you're telling me the guys that were true freshmen last year for them that saw some playing time because of injuries to Gerard Davis or Jared Davis, whatever you say his name, and uh, Alex Anzalone, yeah, they saw some playing time, but does that mean they're all of a sudden better than Roquan Smith and Atres Patrick? Like, that's, that's laughable. Like, I try very hard, I do, to respect differences of opinion, and I, I have no issue with healthy disagreement, but see, I just can't take it seriously. Matt Roy was a decent guy when he started. I mean... It wasn't this transparently yeah. biased. I actually, when SEC Network first started, I, I was like, okay, I like this guy. I like what he's bringing. Like, he's knowledgeable, and I still think he's knowledgeable. But he has a blind spot when it comes to Florida and Jay McElwain. He he does. He just has a blind spot there, at least at this point. And I mean, you look at Florida. I mean, really, can you say that Voshan Joseph, David Reese, and Kylan Johnson are anywhere even near what we have in, in Patrick and, and Smith? I just don't think they're even close. Let alone better than our guys. I just I don't. But I mean, McElroy's seeing. Maybe he's just seeing something I'm not. I mean, Roquan Smith and my he is an All SEC caliber player already, and I don't think Natres is too far behind. They're different types of players, but I like them both. I really do, and, and they really kind of complement each other very well there on the interior. And just the idea of suggesting that our linebacker core isn't as good as what Florida is going to be throwing out there. I, does it even deserve to be taken seriously? I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, anyone... I mean, see, the one thing that bothers me about him is he never backs anything up with statistics or anything. He just goes out and says. Well, except when he's ripping Jacob Eason, he'll back that oh, up. Yeah. He That's has ESPN stats else. and info behind him for that. But you're right. Other than that, yeah, you're right. He just throws stuff out there and just and hopes it sticks and hopes that people that don't want to think just sit there and and take it in and they buy a hook, line, and sinker. And a lot of people do, but I just I, I have no idea. Like if if you spent time watching all those players, our guys and. Florida's young players, uh, Reese, Johnson, and Joseph, I don't see how you can possibly say that Florida's in better shape at inside, linebacker, inside linebacker than we are coming into this year. I just I don't know how anyone could possibly say that if you're trying to be objective. Uh, all right, uh, McElroy again, this time on comparing us versus Auburn. He says, quote, I'm not sure they're on the same level as Auburn this year, especially knowing where that game is going to be played. Are you buying or selling that? You know I'm going to sell it. I, I know I keep selling all these things, but I think the biggest thing is I can't count the number of times Auburn's always supposed to have been the greater team the bet, or the better team and uh, that they should wipe the floor with us and we come out there and beat them. Yeah, look, Auburn, I, I, I do agree with them. I think Auburn is going to be good this year. I really do. I think Jarrett Stidham is going to be a really good player for them at quarterback if Malzahn truly surrenders control of that offense to Chip Lindsey. That remains to be seen. But if that happens, I think Auburn could be a formidable opponent. But to say that we're not on the same level as Auburn – Dude, results on the field would certainly seem to indicate otherwise. We've won three in a row against Auburn, three of the last four, five of the last six, and nine of the last 11. Okay, and one of those two wins was on the stupid Hail Mary that we popped up in the air. I mean, I don't want to rethink that, but really we've beaten them 10 of the last 11 times. We just beat ourselves one of those times, but we've won nine of the last 11 games. So how exactly are we not on the same level as Auburn? I, I just, I don't see, again, I just don't see where he's coming from. Look. Auburn very well could beat us in Jordan Hare this year, right? Yeah, like, very well, but the way he says everything. Right, I mean, they, they look, it's the absolutes he speaks in. Yes, Auburn could beat us in Jordan Hare, but to suggest that we aren't at least on their level, I just don't understand what evidence you would use to possibly support that claim. I just, I don't know where that comes from. I just, I mean, that's it's his opinion. Maybe it's just based in, on nothing at all, but I just, I can't buy that right now. i got to sell it. Uh, all right, Greg McElroy now on our matchup with Notre Dame. Now, here he has something good to say about us. I'm going to see if you're buying or selling this. Uh, in reference to our matchup with Notre Dame, McElroy says, quote, on paper, Georgia should win that game by at least 20 
points? Are you buying or selling that? Um, I think I'm buying it. I think the thing is, it, what he's saying is statistic-wise. If you're looking at statistics, we should come yeah, out there. Wins, losses, yeah. And I think that's why I think I could buy that because he's going off paper. But when does paper ever truly win the game for you? It doesn't. Now I'm I'm kind of torn on this one because I do th- I will say on paper we I think we are the better team. I don't know if on paper we should be a three touchdown favorite on the road. I don't know that high a favorite, but I think his big thing is that they should we should handle them solidly. We should, which I think I could buy. Yeah, I mean, I just think he was speaking with a little hyperbole here. At least twenty points. He's only like, trying to. He's, he's trying like, to get. He's trying. To, he's trying to get us to talk about him on our radio or podcast, well, like we are the right now. The biggest thing about journalists or sports people like this in general, they try to be controversial. They try right. to say these things to bring them themselves right. the attention. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're shock jocks, and I guess we're giving the attention he was looking for because we're talking about him right now, so he's relevant, I guess. Um, but I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna have to sell this one, man. Like I think yes, we should be the I favorite. Think, I think we're a favorite. I don't agree with the amount, but I think on paper, I see, I understand the paper. They're gonna be really good on offense. I, I I love our defense. I'm very confident in our defense, but they have some scary weapons offensively, uh, especially with Equinemia St. Brown. The offensive line is, I think, right now the best offensive line coming this season that we'll face all year, um, based on what we know right now in the moment. So, and I know they have a question mark quarterback. I get that. I think Wimbush will be at least solid. I don't know if he'll be great, especially in week two of his first year as a starter, but I think he'll, he'll be at least solid. I don't think there's going to be too much of a drop-off from what they had last year. Because, I mean, Kaiser didn't even throw for 3,000 yards last year. He was significantly overrated. Um, that's why he fell out of the first round. Um, I think we'll win the game. I just don't – I'm not seeing a three-touchdown victory. That'd be awesome, dude. It'd be crazy awesome, but I'm just not seeing that, Russell. I'm going to sell, slightly sell that one. All right, last one with Greg McElroy here. Uh, Greg McElroy talking about the key for our offense. He said, quote, This offense starts and stops with Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. Those guys have got to be a factor, and I don't want it to be one at a time. It's got to be both at the same time. Are you buying or selling that, having Nick and Sonny in the back at the same time? I'm selling it because I think the biggest thing is, you know, It'll come to the point. I mean, the realistic is they can only there's only one ball, yeah. and why why have them in the same backfield uh, almost all the time when instead you could have them take and rotate rotate them and keep them fresh like Georgia has in the past. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about this a couple months ago before. I think maybe it was one of the mailback like, questions. I could see times where they play together, but I wouldn't make that my every down. Oh yeah, and that's kind of where I am with it. Like. This is a popular thought. You hear this, and it makes sense. Like on the surface, right? Hey, we have two great running backs. Why not use them at the same time? Like, you know, Ronnie Williams or Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown back at Auburn years ago. Uh, so it's a popular thought, and I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think there are things that we can do with both, both Nick and Sony in the backfield that can stress defenses and create productive plays for us. But, I, I again, I agree with you. It can't be an all-the-time thing or even an often thing. I'm okay with it being a sometimes thing. Is that kind of where you are? Like it being something we do occasionally, yeah. like a, like yeah, a wrinkle. It's something we can do sometimes. Yeah, again, I know Sony's versatile enough to play in the slot and be a receiving threat. But here's the thing, guys: you have to remember when you put Sony out there in the slot as a wide receiver, you have to ask yourself: as good and as versatile as Sony is, is he better than a true wide receiver out there in the slot? Are we better off with Sony in the slot or Terry Godwin or Miko Hardman? And that's. <laughs> I would probably go with the other two. That's what they do by trade. That's what they do. So you, as good as Sony is, and yes, he's versatile and valuable in that way, but is he better than a true wide receiver that plays that position for a living? I, I don't know if he is. 
And then if you put Sony in the backfield with Nick, you have to ask yourself this. Is the deception that is created by that setup going to create more room for one of them to run than would otherwise be created by having, I don't know, Christian Payne as a fullback in there as a lead blocker? I, mean, I think the answer there is at times it can be yes if if the plays are designed well enough to, to draw defenders one way with action to one of the guys and then create running lanes for the other back to slice through. But to me, in like I said a second ago, in no way do I think that the idea of having Nick and Sony back there at the same time is a base offense. That's, that cannot be a base look for us. It's more of a wrinkle that can work, but it's it's something that you just got to work in in certain situations. And Now, here's tell me if you agree with this. I think one area where it could really work for us, having them both in the backfield at the same time and be effective, is if we were to go, te- go with tempo on a drive, you have both of those guys in the game at the same time, and that will, Sony's versatility would allow us to go down the field, kind of alternate between pro looks and spread looks with tempo, and we can do that without subbing. Sony can go from being in the backfield to being out wide, so we can do all that without subbing, which would then make it essentially impossible for the defense to match up since they won't be given time to sub unless we do. And that could really hurt defenses because now defensive football is all about getting different packages in there to match up with what the offense puts in there. So, But again, that's more of a wrinkle than any kind of core offensive philosophy. So I think I'm with you. I'm going to sell that. I don't mind seeing them in there from time to time together. Just it can't be something that's happening all the time. Uh, all right, uh, next one here. Now we're going to get off Malcolm. Let's go to Booger McFarland here for a second. And this is Booger McFarland on our 2017 Outlook. He said, quote, The offensive line is going to be the key to this team, and I think Kirby knows that. Are you buying or selling that? I'm buying. All right, why is the offensive line the be-all, end-all this year for us? Um, because, I mean, as inconsistent as Issa was last year, the offensive line really played a huge part because we never truly allowed, never we were never in a situation to get the run game going to take pressure off the quarterback. Yeah, I'm. you're right. You're not wrong at all. <laughs> I mean, look at Missouri, all uh, Vanderbilt, all these games. We should have been running the ball, or I mean, we should. I mean, we should have been running the ball with more success than we did. And when we didn't, we had to turn to the pass, and the pass wasn't always there because then that it got to the situation where we were almost having to pass to open the run up. Where a majority of the time, we usually do it the other way, it. and we couldn't do it. The pat, we couldn't throw the ball to open the run up. You hit it now, well, and, yeah. and then another thing was, you know, it hurt us too. Like I think, in my opinion, this is my opinion, but I think we had to go to more quicker pass patterns and shotgun looks because we couldn't do a true deep uh, three or four step drops. Absolutely, I, I think you're spot on there. Uh, this one is tough for me. I, I'm going to have to equivocate a little bit here. I think the answer is, I could buy this. I think that could be the case. Because uh, I, I, to me, look, just kind of echo what you were saying there. Our offensive line was clearly a disaster last year. <laughs> I mean, clearly. And we definitely need to improve it. We all know the problem. and you, We've gone over this ad nauseum. You kind of just went over it there. Defense has loaded the box against us to take away the run game. And we just weren't good enough up front to open lanes against those stacked looks. And we, then on top of that, like you just mentioned, we weren't good enough in the passing game when defenses threw eight, nine guys in the box. We weren't good enough to throw defenses out of those looks to force them out of them. So for me, the key for offense is this. One of these two things has to happen. We either, A, have to improve enough up front on the offensive line to be able to run against eight and nine-man boxes, or, B, our passing game has to improve enough to be able to throw defenses out of those looks, which will obviously, as you alluded to, loosen up the running game. And that would be awesome for both of those things to happen, because then we would really be rolling offensively. But I believe if we have one of those things happen, either offensive line develop enough to be able to handle eight and nine-man boxes consistently, or our passing game uh, develops to the point where we can throw them out of those looks, 
then I think we will take a solid step forward as an offense. Is that does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I'm gonna buy it. I think the offensive line is a key, but I think we can still kind of mask the offensive line deficiencies to a degree if our passing game takes a significant step forward. So if one of those two things happens, or both, that's not to get too greedy, but if both happen, that would be, I don't know, maybe SEC title worthy. Uh, all right, this, uh, two more quick ones here. Uh, Jordan Rogers, uh, who had a lot of face. I think he was on there like all week long. Uh, Jordan Rogers talking about the SEC East favorite in that race. Uh, and he said, quote, on paper, when we're looking at these rosters talent-wise, I really want to lean towards Georgia. I believe in their development on the defensive side under Kirby. My hesitation is the schedule. I love Florida's schedule. That's the reason I have to go Florida. End quote. So, Kurt, are you buying or selling George Rogers' take on the East and his rationale for Florida being the favorite? Uh, I just, I just don't always agree with that. I think that I mean they have some good home games, but I mean, look at it. They're I mean, eleven and one overall at home under McIlwain. They have they only have three true road games in the SEC this year. Have five true home games in the SEC. Yeah, see, I, I get that, but the thing is. When it comes down to it, it doesn't change who they're playing. And it doesn't change your personnel. No, exactly. I mean, look, they went into LSU last year and beat LSU. So were they the better team? No. So, I mean, I think that right there is a, a you know an overstatement. I think it really just depends on who you're playing. I mean, does home field advantage help? Yes. But really, it's, the home field advantage is only going to swing a game one way or the other if the teams are truly right down the middle split 50-50, like in yeah, terms of talent. Yeah, and say they're not split. It, it might change. It, may, it might make it closer. It could go from, in my opinion, it would take like an LSU and A&M game from po- possibly around a 14 to 17 point spread to a 10 to 7 point spread. Yeah, I mean, you know, you see a drop. it's like, the, like in Vegas when they're setting the lines, home field advantage is good for three points traditionally in the Vegas lines. So if you're a three-point favorite at home against a team, basically Vegas is saying that they think you are dead even with a team. They're giving you three That's points. What I'm saying. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't per se think it changes the fact that they still have to play a, uh, LSU. They still have to play A and M. Yeah, they're both at home, right but they still have to play them. And I think, I think it's a little oversaid that or understated that they have to go to both Missouri and South Carolina. Boom! Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you for mentioning that. I know right now, no one's, look, everyone's looking at at Florida's schedule and saying, "Oh, at Missouri, that's a win. At South Carolina, that's a win." Back to back weeks. Those two games both fall right after the cocktail party. That could be an easy hangover situation for exactly. them. And, and, like you said, and the those Missouri, are very improving teams. Yeah, those are de- both trap games. And I, you know, in our show, if you listen to the show last week, I think Missouri is going to be the breakout team in the entire SEC. I'm not saying they're going to win and, the and, SEC, and, but they're going to they're going to double their wins from last year. With Missouri, I'm actually thankful we have them at home. I, I absolutely. That is a dangerous team. They they were the number one team in the SEC offensively last year. 500 yards a game, have 10 stars returning offense, every major contributor. Their defense was the problem last year, but traditionally they have a good defense. They took a, a step back last year, but I have a feeling, especially with, with Odom at, at head coach now, who was, who's a former defense coordinator, they, they're going to take a step forward on defense. I don't know how much of a step, but they will be better defensively, which means they will be better overall. That's a tough game for them, and that's, something, that's right after the cocktail party. Then you, then you have to turn around the next week and go to South Carolina, who's going to have another offense. I think it's going to be much improved this year. Defense was their issue last year. You get Sky Moore back. They could easily lose both of those games, easily. I, I know you don't look at those games and say, oh, I'm scared, but those are sneaky, tough games for Florida. Sneaky, tough. So I – Look, I, I'm with you, man. I'm going to sell this. Uh, I do. I'll give Rogers this. And I like Jordan Rogers. I think he's really good. I really like Jordan Rogers. I think he's he's very polished and very knowledgeable. 
I, I agree with him. I think Florida's schedule, look, it is more favorable. If you look at it objectively, it's more favorable. We still have to go to Tennessee. We still have to go to Auburn. Those are tougher games. As, as sneaky as I think at Missouri and at South Carolina are, at Tennessee, at Auburn are tougher, right? It's, to me, that's a tough. Those are, that's, a, that's a tougher slate. But I'm with you. To me, the schedule difference is not enough to cause me to change my pick in the East because I think it's likely to come down to who wins in Jacksonville. Whoever wins that game is going to get a two-game swing with the tiebreaker. And I don't think Florida is going to run through the SEC schedule outside the cocktail party. So if we beat them and they lose one more SEC game along the way, that would essentially mean we have to lose three other conference games. And I just don't see that happening. So if we beat Florida, if we beat Florida in Jacksonville, who can, the rest of their schedule doesn't matter. They're, they're probably going to lose at least one more game. So that would give them two losses there, which would mean we have to lose three to for them to win the, the, the East and go to Atlanta. So I, I just don't see us losing three conference games. I just don't see that happening. But, I mean, it could. I just But I'm not going to sit here and predict that happening right now. So I get what he's saying. I do think they have a little bit of a, of a lighter schedule than us with the, the snap through with the hurricane last year and getting LSU at home and this year. that's also saying they beat LSU and A&M both. Yeah, and that's saying they beat both. And I know both of those are home games. But they're, are they going to beat both those teams at home? Ah, man, that's that's an uphill battle there. They'll pro- they should beat Tennessee. Um and, you know, they, they, they're going to they're gonna beat Vanderbilt at home. Uh, but, it, it, hey, at Kentucky, that's I, – I know I know Kentucky hasn't beaten Florida in like 743 years, but Kentucky's going to have a soft football team this year too, and that's on the road. So, you got to consider all those things. Uh, all right, last one here. Uh, now, this is Kirby, the head man himself, on – this is on a radio show on Sirius XM Radio Full Ride. Uh, and he uh, was talking about how much he had thought. He was asked about how much have you thought, thought about, and stressed about the opener against Appalachian State. And Kirby responded by saying, "Quote to the point that it's nauseating." So, Kirby, are you buying or selling that Kirby should be getting nauseous over thinking about Game One against Appalachian State? Um, I'm buying. I think Kirby's trying to take every game serious. He's that type of coach. I mean, he's a he looks at he every is. small detail. Um, he's the same way as Saban, and I think. The- biggest thing the reason he does that is i mean look what happened with tennessee if you don't take them seriously they could come in and beat you and that would ruin your whole season and put you on an extreme hot seat and hurt your recruiting there's no doubt that we have to win that game and we cannot look at look by them and look ahead to notre dame and i think that's the point he was trying to make uh and and, and that's and that's a fair point and i love the fact i have no issue at all with kirby saying that was saying hey we've got to focus on Appalachian State. I have no issue with that whatsoever. He said we used an entire practice last year or this spring focusing on that game and, t- and talking it up and getting the guys ready for that and so they aren't overlooking them. And I'm totally on board with that. It's all about attention to detail and not overlooking anybody. I'm with you there. But is Appalachian State really a team that we should be getting, we should be getting nauseous over? No, but I think Kirby's overselling the fact to his team because he knows his team's right. listening. Yeah, oh, no, for sure, 100%. I, and I, I, I want him to say I don't want him to sit there and say, no, I don't care, we're going to win that game. He can't say that. Of course, this is what he needs to say. So I'm totally on board there. But I just, I'm not going to, I can't buy that this is a team that we should be getting nauseous over. I know that's what he's selling. He needs to be selling no, that. I don't, I don't buy that we should be nauseous over them. Yeah, I mean, the, the, look at Appalachian. We, we did a whole preview on them. Scott, that was our first guy on the Enemy show starting at the beginning of the schedule. So if you haven't checked that out, go back and check that out. I think you guys... Uh, get some good information there, but just kind of recap here. Look, Appalachian State. Here's my thing. So why I'm not, I'm, I'm, I very much respect Appalachian State. I do, but this team is not flying under the radar this year. 
with all the attention they've gotten over the years, with their one their all time upset against Michigan and all those some other high profile just misses like the at Tennessee last year to open the season. There is no way in hell our guy is going to overlook this game, especially with what Kirby's selling right now. He's made that clear. This is not the same situation as Tennessee last year. No one was talking about that game. No one was saying Tennessee better watch out. This year, people are to the point that Kirby was asked about how much are you stressing about that game. So they're not going to fly under the radar. And if you look at the stats from last year, this is a good football team. Okay, they I think like twenty and four overall in the Sun Belt since they made the jump up to to the D one level. They averaged 430 yards a game overall last year, but against the two Power 5 opponents they played, Tennessee and Miami, that number dropped to 275 yards a game. They averaged 30 points overall, uh, 30 points a game overall last season. Against the two Power 5 teams they played, that number dropped to 11.5 points a game. Um, In the five games against Power 5 teams that they've played since 2013, Appalachian State has been outscored 203 to 53. That's an average of essentially 40 to 10. Like I said, they deserve respect because they have shown they are capable of beating us, and they are a good group of five football program. They absolutely are. But saying that, they do deserve our respect. We should not be scared of them. Make no mistake, we are clearly the more talented team. So I'm not getting. I'm. I'm concerned that we don't if, if we don't take it seriously. But if we take this game seriously, we should we should win this football game. I mean, they'll play hard. They'll they'll move the ball a little bit. They'll score some. They'll, they will score some points. But we're the more talented team, and we should absolutely win this game. So I'm not getting nauseous over it. I think that's a little much. That's a little strong there. It's a little bit of overkill. But I see why he's selling that. All right, guys, that will do it for us today. Check out, check back with us later in the week. We'll have the next edition of our Scouting the Enemy series. This time we'll be talking the Florida Gators. I know we talk about Vanderbilt, Missouri. People are kind of shrug that off. Like, yeah, who cares? Uh, but Florida, hopefully. Uh, you guys will tune in for that show because they are the uh, right. They're right. I mean, look, Florida's a good football team. I, I have us as the favorite in the East, but it's not by much over Florida. So check us out later in the week as we preview the Florida Gators and how we match up with them in the 2017 season. Check us out on Twitter at glory underscore uga. Email us gloryugapodcast@gmail.com. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.